All right, guys, thank you for joining me for part two of my conversation with Tony Robbins. This is actually my favorite half of our chat. Now, all of it was amazing, and I felt so excited to be there, and I was learning so much about the advances that we're making inside of the medical community and different ways that we can retain and grow our health and our energy and our ability to focus. In this part of the conversation, Tony and I get into mindset and the power of our mind. But also what was so amazing was this moment at the end. See, I really wanted an opportunity to ask something Tony wasn't expecting. Oftentimes when people are on a book tour or a press tour, they tend to answer the same questions over and over. And, you know, if you play by the rules as an interviewer, you serve them up the questions that will absolutely serve them well and allow them to get their conversation across to the audience. And this is great because it means that you as the listener get so much information for free. But this was a huge opportunity for me. This was something I had been dreaming of for years. And so I just wanted a little moment at the end. I wanted something that I could ask that was really something I was curious about, not something that was for the audience or not something that was meant to help promote the book, but really just sort of selfishly something I had always wondered. And I was so blown away by Tony's response. He got really emotional and he started crying. And then I started crying and the crew started crying and it ended up being this really beautiful experience that I will never forget. And it all happened because I asked him about purpose, about his why. And so make sure whatever you do, you stay to the end of our conversation to hear his incredible response. I am deeply grateful to God and the universe and all of the people who came together to make this conversation happen. And I hope that you get as much out of it as I did. Hi, I'm Rachel Hollis, and this is my podcast. I spend so many hours of every single week reading and listening to podcasts and watching YouTube videos and trying to find out as much as I can about the world around me. And that's what we do on this show. We talk about everything, life and how to be an entrepreneur. What happened to dinosaurs? What's the best recipe for fried chicken? What's the best plan for intermittent fasting? What's going on with our inner child? How's therapy working out for you? Whatever it is my guests are into, I want to unpack it so that we can all understand. These are conversations. This is information for the curious. This is the Rachel Hollis Podcast. So if you, here's an interesting example. If you take an old mouse, which is a 70-year-old person in a mouse form would be 20 months, 24 months old, and you have them get on a treadmill, they can only go about a quarter of a mile before they're exhausted. If you take a young, powerful mouse, they can do four times that. They can run a full kilometer. When they give NMN for 14 days to a mouse, just normal NMN, that mouse, that old mouse, will run two to three kilometers. In other words, two to 300% more than the strongest mouse around. Wow. So then my question was, well, that's cool, but will it work with humans, right? Because not all my studies work. Some do, some don't. 
So Dr. Sinclair clued me in, and I got to meet his partner in another business, and it's called uh, Mike, uh, Metro Biotech. It's based out of Boston, and they're doing something pretty amazing. No one knew about this until about two weeks ago. I knew about it because I invested in the company. But for two years, they've been working with the United States Army and working with our special forces. So they first spent two years, first showed it safe, then showed its effectiveness. Uh, a commander got very excited about what he saw because just the study just finished. And he blabbed to somebody who was obviously a reporter. And so it was in the Daily Mail about a week ago. And it was in a Boston paper about two or three weeks ago. So I can't tell you what the results are because they're, they're still top secret. But I can tell you what he reported. And here's what he said. He said, those studies on mice, the strongest men and women in the world, because you know, there's not a lot of improvement for someone who's in the right. special forces, right? He said their endurance exploded. These are people, the most strong people you know. He said their muscular strength shot through the roof from the same stimulus. Now, there wasn't any extra, extra exercise. And the most powerful thing was their cognition went through the roof. And that's what they want because you're a soldier right. and exhausted. You got to be able to think through this. That's what, your mind is what saves you, right? Yeah. And so now they're doing, they're on a phase three trial right now for COVID because COVID steals from your mitochondria. That's why people have so much fatigue both to prevent it and for long-term COVID. It's in phase three, and it's in its final steps. There's one for kidneys because COVID affects that. And then they're starting one right now for people just beginning Alzheimer's Mm -hmm. because the brain uses more energy than any other part of your body. So imagine, so by the way, this is not going to be a nutraceutical. This will be FDA approved. You go to your doctor and your doctor can give you this. It's a natural substance, but the difference is this one doesn't break down. It's crystallized. Mm -hmm. And so the absorption instead of 30% is 300%. So that's why they're seeing these main results. So that's 24 months away, roughly. Could be 18. So I tell people what they can do right now with NMN that you could start doing and then show you what you're going to be able to do then. To me, that's one of the most exciting things in the world. Because imagine having something that gets your genes to turn on and off the right genes at the right time so you're not prematurely aging and if anything, you're going to stay younger. You're reducing inflammation, which is the basis of disease. you got more energy in every cell of your body and your DNA is being connected and cleaned up. So while you do want to work on your mind, there are things that you can do that are effortless. I mean, you're popping a, a simple pill that's right. natural in your body that puts your body back in balance. Wow. I mean, this is the world we're entering. Well, oh my God, I have so many questions. My brain's going to explode. So for people who are listening to this, right? So maybe they're like, their brain is also exploding, but they're at a more <laughs> basic level, right? Yes. The mom, soccer mom in Ohio listening to this podcast. There's so many tools that you have far beyond what's in here that can just help her in her life right now that are about, like you mentioned earlier, the three questions that you're going to ask yourself. Can you talk listeners through that? So uh, years ago, when I was growing up, I grew up pretty poor in a rough life. My mom is the most important person in my life. She's now passed. Uh, But she had a rough time um, when she used uh, alcohol and prescription drugs. And so I became more of a social psychologist uh, because I had to be able to manage her states. Yeah. And I'm grateful. I, if my mom had been how I thought she should have been, I wouldn't be the man I am. So I'm beyond grateful to her. But as a result of that kind of tough breakdown or growing up, I had to try and figure out answers. And I had four different fathers. And we had times when there was no food. The reason I provide 100 million meals a year is not because I'm such a nice guy. It's like my family suffered. I suffered. I don't want anybody else to suffer. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a passion for me. My life has changed because there's a knock at the door. I go to the door. This big guy's there. My parents are shouting back and forth, saying things you can't take back. And the guy goes, he's holding giant groceries in each hand, like bag. And he had an empty pan with a frozen turkey, uncooked turkey on the ground. He'd sat down beside him. 
And he says, your father here. And I was like, like, we're not going to die. We'd had saltine crackers and stuff, but we weren't going to have a Thanksgiving dinner, right? And I was like, just one moment, man. I go to my daddy. He and my mom are screaming at each other. You know, I got my younger brother, younger sister trying to get me not to hear it. I said, dad, the door, the door. I got the door for you. He goes, you answer. I said, I did it. He won't talk to me. He's here for you. And I was the most excited I can remember being in years in that moment because I just knew this is going to change Thanksgiving. We're going to be so happy. My dad opens the door, looks at this man, and got angry. And he goes, we don't accept charity. And he went to just close the door in the man's face, and the man's foot was down here, and so it bounced off his foot and stayed open, which made my dad matter. And then he, the man said, sir, sir, this is, I'm just the delivery guy. Somebody knows you're having a tough time. Everybody has a tough time. They want you to have a beautiful Thanksgiving. My dad said, we don't take charity. Started to close the door again, hits the foot again. My dad's getting madder. And then my, this man said this, I'll never forget. He saw me, I'm sure I look crestfallen. And he said, sir, please don't let your ego get in the way of taking care of your family. I thought my dad was going to kill him. Veins in the side of his face were exploding. I'm just, and there was this long moment, like waiting for the bomb to ignite. And he just took the food and closed the door and never said, thank you. I was shocked. I was stunned. And I was sad. Like, I was so excited. Number one, there was food. <laughs> Number two, we're going to have this family thing. And my father left our family shortly thereafter. And I, I carry his name. I had four fathers. He's the one that touched me the most. And so I was devastated. But about a year later, just as a kid, I started thinking this through. Like, what? How come I was so excited? And how come he was so upset? And I began to piece together. And now I've used this the rest of my life. So there's three decisions we make every moment we're alive. My, mad, my dad made them that day. So did I. But we made them differently. And the problem with these three decisions for most people is they're made out of habit. Like about, you know, if you listen to social psychologists, about 48% of what we do is habit. What's great about habit? You don't have to think. Yeah. What's bad about habit? You do the same thing. Right. <laughs> if it doesn't work, keep doing the same thing. So if you make these three decisions consciously, you can change your whole life. And they're really simple. The first decision you make is what are you going to focus on? So what did my dad focus on? He had not provided enough food for his family. How do I know that? He muttered it, talked about it continuously. He was really angry. What did I focus on? Easy for me. I was just a kid, right? Food. This is amazing. We're going to have this great Thanksgiving, right? So right away, whatever you focus on controls what you feel. So if you're thinking, oh, my God, my kid's going to get killed, or where are they, or they're dying? You know, we've all done that, and then you're sick in your tummy, and then they're fine, right? right? You know, and you had all these adrenaline going through you and so forth, right? So focus equals feeling, but there are habits of focus. So, like, if I asked your audience, if I asked you, what do you think most people focus on more? What they have or what's missing? What's missing? 100%. Yeah. And even overachievers focus on what's missing, Rachel. Yeah. Because that's why they're on the hamster wheel, no matter how successful they are, they're never fully happy. Right. How can you ever stay happy? If you're constantly focusing on what's missing, you can't. It doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter what good person you are. It's like, think of it as software. That software will not make you happy. Yeah. It'll make you worry. It'll make right. you feel less than. It'll make you think you're not enough. It'll make you all. And it's just a habit of thought. How about this one? Which one do you think people do more of? Focus on what they can or can't control? Can't. Without a doubt. And by the way, in COVID, that's been magnified because there's lots of things we can't control. We can influence them, but we right. can't control them. But there are lots of things we can control. Yeah. Our weight, the most important things we can control, but no one talks about it, right? So when you're constantly focused on what you can't control and what's missing, you tell me what kind of emotions would that person have, no matter how smart they are, no matter how good-hearted they are, no matter what a good Christian or religious person they are, whatever kind of religion they have, what are they going to feel? Suffering. But I would say, speaking of my audience, 
biggest issue she faces is anxiety. And everything that you just said is what's adding to that, right? Well, then let me add a third piece to the cake, okay? Which do you think people focus on more, the past, the present, or the future? Now, we do all three, but where do you think most people spend their time? The past. Past is, for people that aren't happy, it is the past. For people that are stressed, it's the future. Future, 100%. (laughs) Right? Most achievers focus on the future. It's actually great to anticipate the future. But when you're missing what's here, and then what makes it worse is when you get in a fear state, or you're thinking about what's missing and what you can't control, then what part of the future do you create? You make up a future that's not a compelling one that creates more anxiety. Well, and your subconscious also doesn't know the difference between the things you're imagining, which is what's giving you the anxiety. You got it. You got it. So you have it directly in your head. So now you're living it. You're living that experience. So with my father, just go back to that for a second, he focused on he had not taken care of his family, and that was the first decision. That alone would put you in a horrible place. Second decision is, what does this mean? So the minute you focus on something, whether you know it or not consciously, you can do it consciously, but most people don't. You go, what does this mean? Is this person attacking me? Are they dissing me? Are they challenging me? Are they coaching me? Are they loving me? Whichever answer you come up with will instantly change your biochemistry. It'll change what you feel and change the third decision, what you decide to do. Because if you're pissed, you're going to behave differently than if you're feeling grateful. If something happens, is God, and it's not what you want, or it feels horrible, is God punishing me? That's what some people come up with. Is God challenging me? Is this problem a gift from God? Or is it nothing to do with God? I'm just a lazy little brat. (laughs) I haven't done my part, right? Right. Whichever decision you make will completely change your biochemistry, change what you feel, and then we get habits of these meanings, right? So then you feel the same thing over and over again, and then you think it's you. Oh, this is my lot in life. No, it's just a pattern you've done. It's just a habit. can change the habit. And so think about it. So my dad is like, okay, I didn't take care of my family. What does that mean? I'm worthless. And what did I make him feel? Pretty easy to tell. How do I know he's worthless? He muttered in his breath for weeks before he left. And what he decided to do? Leave our family. Mm-hmm. I'm worthless. I don't belong here. It was devastating. But I look back on it, and it was the greatest day of my life because that's why I feed 100 million people a year. Because would I really cared if I hadn't lost that? Would I really care if I hadn't been through that pain? I'd love to believe I would, but I don't know if I would. Yeah. I, I care because I've experienced it. Right. So for me, it's not intellectual what people are going through. So those three decisions, you know, third decision is what am I going to do? But just think, the meaning will equal the emotion, and the emotion is your life. Right. Because we have habits of emotion. I always call it your emotional home. Yes. Right? Oh, yes. Right? I'm not going to start quoting UPW to you because that would be weird. Go for it. But um, I, <laughs> when, when you guys did the virtual one yes. last November or something, because yes. I was just like, I was talking to Dean. I'm like, I need something. And he was like, don't tell anybody, but we're going virtual. I was like, fuck yeah. <laughs> So I spent a weekend by myself. So helpful. I'd gone through a year-long divorce, and I just needed that space. Yes. And it's funny. I'm going to sound like a stalker right now, but I think I've done UPW four times. Wow. And I've gotten, like, I have all of my workbooks, and I have different notes every time. you go different stages. Yeah. Dealing with something different. Yeah, totally. But the last one I had gone to, and when you guys did it virtually for the first time, you said, um, what's your favorite flavor of suffering? Suffering, that's right. And I was like, oh, Oh my god! Meaning, where do you spend the most time? Right. right? Even talk- though you know it's not good for you, yeah. you still go there. So yeah. that's a favorite like, flavor. One yeah. of my favorite quotes from Wayne Dyer is, um, "When you squeeze an orange, lemon juice never comes out. Yeah. When something's under pressure, whatever is inside of it will come out." That's so, will right. you talk about emotional home? Yeah. Because I'm not sure if the audience is 
as and what I mean by mushroom home, so that they know what we're talking about. First of all, thank you for sharing that with me, and I'm, I'm maybe for me as we can tell people about these digital programs because I have more moms now taking my seminar every yes, time in history. Because childcare is such an issue, and they can't afford to travel. It is a huge deal. So trust me, yes. I, I don't know, just an aside for a second. Imagine, because I know you know this is your mission. You're not doing this because you have to. You yeah. might be your business, but it's really your life. Yeah. Same for me, right? I don't have to work another day in my life. Imagine your entire life you believe God's made you for this, and you've done pretty well in helping people, millions. And the major way you do it is by immersion. Because if yes. you go learn a word at a time, like, you know, ask people, do how many learned a language in high school and college? Right. How many still speak it? None right. of them, right? Right. right. But if I dropped you in Italy for six weeks and didn't even give you a teacher, that immer- you're going to come back speaking Italian, right? 100%. In a very different way, it'll be in you. So that's what I do. So all of a sudden, you know, we had the 60th birthday party, and my wife was amazing. I said, I don't want to party. And she's like, I'm putting on a party. <laughs> I said, well, party with a purpose. So we raised uh, $14 million, and I added $5 million. So $19 million to save kids for Underground Railroad, which is one of my dear passions. So it was the most amazing, beautiful night. We're all in tears. We're saving these children's lives. And... It was gorgeous and like a peak experience in your life. And then all of a sudden, oh, two weeks later or 10 days later, I'm supposed to do a seminar in San Jose. You went to a San Jose yeah, event, right? Yeah. So, you know, a stadium, you know, it's up for 15,000 people. I think we had 12,500 people in a few more weeks. So we do our normal 15,000 people. Governor of California decides, based on COVID, is very early days, change the rules. 10 people's the max that could be around each other. Yep. 10. So I was like, Everybody's like, it's calling me saying, first they called me and said, are you going to shut down the seminar? I said, I bled out with mercury poisoning and got on stage in a wheelchair. I don't, you know, I'm not going to cancel some, but the governor canceled it, right? Yeah. So what do I do? I was like, and I want to tell people this because a way of thinking. So I was like, screw that. We're going to Vegas. They're never going to shut down Vegas. Two weeks later, they shut down Vegas right after we moved the seminar there. Right. Right? And I was like, okay, here's what we'll do. We're going to go to like 1500 movie theaters and put 10 people in each. And I did this years ago, but not 10 people. I did a smaller number. But that way we can get everybody there. They can do it locally. They can still be around other people. And it's huge screens. It'll still be the dynamic, you know, yeah. of what I create. Yeah. It's like a rock concert, you know, right? And so they shut down the movie theaters. So the last step was like, okay, I have a friend that has a church in Houston, 15,000 people. I'm renting this church. They're not going to keep Costco open and shut down the church. Right. They shut down right. the church and kept open Costco. Right. I'm like, right. so then I was with Dean. Thank God for Dean. Dean Graziosi was one of my partners and dear friends, mutual friend of ours. Yeah. And Dean says, Tony, I, you know, I said, I got to find a way to serve people. Maybe I'll do this free seminar or something. He goes, I really think you got to do like a webinar. And I went and watched somebody do a webinar with like two 52-inch screens. Right. And I said, I'll chop off my hands right. first. I mean, he was like, even in my event, it would be nothing like that. So we took out a tape recorder, and I said, here's what we're going to do. And I said, we're going to get a building with 40-foot high ceilings, and I'm going to build 20-foot high LED screens so I can see every pimple, every movement. I can see their children. If we're going to enter their home, I want to really enter their home. I want right. to be better than a live event. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a 50 feet wide, 180 degrees around. I'm put the best sound system in there so it's like, like being in a stadium. And I'm going to go to Eric Yon at Zoom, and I'm going to get him to allow so I can bring people up and see them. But I need to be able to bring, you know, not 1,000 people. That was the limit on Zoom. I said, I need 25,000 people. Right. And then I'm going to build an app, and we'll do it where people can shake the app instead of clapping. And if one does it, you'll barely hear it. But if 10,000 do it, the place will be shaking, right? I want to make it just as real as an event. So I brought nine companies together, and they're like, this is a huge project. I think we can do this in nine months. I was like, no, no, no nine weeks is what you got. And we did it. Yep. And you went to one of them. Yep. But what's really cool, I've had a group of people follow me from Stanford. And measuring my body over the years, it's pretty crazy what my body goes through in these events, but they started measuring the people in the audience. And since it was digital, I wanted to see how much of that would really transfer. 
And, you know, people from, first of all, 195 countries, but all of a sudden I got moms with their kids and grandmas with their grandkids. And I remember seeing this one Indian man, he was there with his turban on and his wife was there and he was really upset, you could see, because she'd commandeered clearly the big screen, Right. right? And But like 20 minutes later, he's kind of dancing. And by the end of the program, he's fighting her for the piece of wood because he did this wood-breaking piece. But they tested people around the world and saw the biochemical changes that I do in a seminar happen to them as well. Oh, wow. And 30 days later, they did measurements. This is during COVID. In their homes, the worst time, 70% reduction in negative emotions, 52% increase in positive emotions. And then they did it 11 months later. Not 30 days later, 11 months in the middle of COVID. They didn't do 12 months because COVID was like starting to open up. Same results for people. Wow. That's the changing in conditioning. And yeah. they prove how what I do changes neurologically. What's your programming? Yeah. The way you're wired. But come back to your question you were saying about is emotional home. Emotional home means, maybe a metaphor to help your, your listeners or viewers. Have you ever uh, seen people on television like let's say in New Orleans or Florida, wherever, and then, you know, a storm comes or a cyclone and it destroys everything they have and they're picking up the piece of their life and they're with their children and your heart's breaking, you know. And then three years later, they rebuild and it happens again. And in some cases, it happens again. And there's some point where you might, no matter how much compassion, you go, why don't you move? Right. Right? You know, why don't right. you do something? They don't move is because what they know. Yeah. And we all have an emotional home, a place we go back to no matter what happens in our life. And some of those homes are not real happy. And, you know, when your conditioning growing up was not so great, mine was part of that too, you tend to go to not great places. Right. It's like people picking the wrong partner, do all these things. Is they're trying to get back to that feeling. Right. And so what I... Because is there, is there safety for them and the certainty of that? certainty. Yeah. It's not, it's not always safety, but there's certainty. And even when it's painful, there's comfort in what you know. Right. Right. The unknown is what scares people right. the most, right? And so what happens is, you got to rewire that. You don't have to change your home, but maybe it's time to make an addition. Maybe it's time to bring some new emotions in. Because I'm sure you know somebody that's always worried. Yeah. You know, and if they're not worried about themselves or their kids, they're worried about somebody else's kids or about the earth or something, yeah. right? I'm sure you know somebody's always angry. Yes. They're always pissed off. And if they can't find, if there's not something pissed off in their own life, they get pissed off on something that has nothing to do with them, yes. right? And I bet you know somebody who's not funny but thinks they are, <laughs> you know, and they yes. crack themselves up. Well, you want to hang out with them because yeah. being around them makes you feel yeah. better. So once you know what your emotional home is, now the time to shift it is through these simple practices, asking these three diff- decisions differently. Like, what am I going to focus on? What's wrong is always available. Yeah. So it's what's right. Yeah. And you catch yourself and catch yourself. And after a while, your brain goes there. Now I have a process. All, your, all of your followers, if they want to, can go. There's no cost for it. They can go to TonyRobbins.com forward slash priming. I think you know what priming is. Yeah. It's a 10-minute process. Yeah. I do it every morning. And it's how I've conditioned my mind. I didn't just show up this way. Yeah. And look, I've, you know, I got 105 companies. I got thousands of employees. I got five kids, five grandkids. I'm trying to be a great husband and a great friend and a great brother and an athlete and serve the world. So I understand the challenges of multitasking. If you don't take control of your mind daily for just 10 minutes, you're going to have a rough ride. Right. But if you go through just three minutes of gratitude, like three things you're grateful for and you don't remember it over there. Like I remember going on a roller coaster. You remember the front of the roller coaster going over, like where you feel it. Yeah. It starts to reprogram because the emotions that mess us up are fear mm. and anger. And gratitude is the solution. You can't be grateful and angry simultaneously. Yep. And you can't be grateful and fearful simultaneously. Yeah. So, and then the second part is a part for kind of a blessing, so to speak. People can use a prayer or whatever it is. And then the third part, three minutes, 
is thinking of three things you want to accomplish, but seeing and feeling them is done and feeling grateful for it so that, as you said, the brain doesn't know the difference between something you actually experience and something that you're imagining. And what happens is at the end of 10 minutes, you're ready for the world and you see the world different. You react to things differently. And so that's just a simple daily practice. So in an event, we do it immersively and we have people transform and you can see it a year later what it's like. But also you can do this for yourself just daily. And also it's just feeding your mind. It's like I grew up around cassette tapes, (laughs) you know, and I used to drive down when I had no money and making 40 bucks a week as a janitor, 35 bucks a week as a janitor. And I would save it up and go buy these tape programs. You couldn't go on YouTube and get stuff for free like that. It was like 300 bucks for six cassettes and a workbook. And I tell you that because I valued it. I listened to it again and again and again and again until it became part of me. And those investments I made were the best investments of my entire life because it was so expensive for me at that time. And it was, I couldn't waste it. And I'm here today. I'm a product of feeding that mind and heart and spirit. Yeah. Right. One of my favorite quotes of yours is where focus goes, energy flows. And I feel like in talking about feeling and what you choose to focus on, it's really powerful. I said it to myself a thousand times when I went through divorce. Um, Will you explain that concept? Well, if you think about it, it kind of goes back to what I said. Whatever you focus on, you feel. Yeah. So if you think you're, you know, you're supposed to meet your husband, your wife or boyfriend or girlfriend or someone at seven o'clock for dinner. And you get there at seven and they're not there. What do you feel? I ask this of an audience, you know, 10,000 people. You get a lot of people saying pissed off. And you get a lot of people saying worried. And then I go, well, what if it's 730 and they've not called, they've not shown up, and they've not text? I'm really pissed off, really worried. What if it's 830 and they've not called? Somebody will yell out, I'm full. I didn't wait for the bastard. <laughs> Something like that, you know? But ultimately what you get to see is it's the same. And then the person shows up. Now how do you right. treat them? Right, right. Because right. the person who's yeah. upset is saying they don't care. They're out screwing around with somebody else. They do this every time. So they're picturing this in their mind, saying these things, puts them in a certain state. Well, when they show up, you're going to treat them in a way that makes them never want to come around you again. And then the person who's worried thinks, what if they're in a car accident? And so now they're all stressed out. When they finally arrive there, they're going to greet them very, very differently. So we have to train ourselves to focus on what we want instead of what we're afraid of. Mm. And that's just a matter of repetition. I did this with uh, this funny examples with, uh, I had the privilege to be able to learn how to drive race cars. And I got to learn from a guy named Bob Bondurant who owns a school and he's a very famous um, race car driver. And I went to Northern California. There's a place called Laguna Seca that's famous because it has this corkscrew turn where you're going 110, 120 miles an hour straight at a wall and you have to go around it with hyperspeed. And so he puts me in the car the first day, and he says, I want to show you what a car can do. And I gets me all belted up. He belts up. At the end of that ride, doing all this stuff, at the end, my heart was beating out of my chest. And I'm usually more of an adventure guy. But this thing was not an adventure. It felt like death. And he looks at me at the end. He goes, in four days, you'll do that. I said, Bob, you know, I'm real positive, and you're crazy. <laughs> I said, I don't even know if I want to do this. He goes, let me help you. And this is a good lesson in life. He said, we're never going to take you at that speed until we first put you in a spin car. So what's a spin car? He says, spin car is a special car we've designed. You're going to drive. I don't have any brakes or control. You still have to be in control. But I have these four buttons over here. And I can push one of the four buttons. As soon as I see you're not concentrating enough, I'll push one. And it lifts one of the four wheels up. And we will spin out of control in that direction. And there's walls all around the place. He goes, now two things. You dot, all you got to remember is focus on where you want to go, not on what you're afraid of. I'm like, I teach this. This is easy. <laughs> you know, it wasn't, right? 
And he says, I guess I get it. He goes, no, no. So I want you to think about it. Have you ever heard about a guy driving his car down a country road, a brand new Porsche going 110 miles an hour, and he hits the only telephone pole in a quarter of a mile? How? Because he goes, I don't want to turn into that. And whatever you focus on, you steer into. Right. So you got to focus where you want to go, even though it's scary. So I hear him. I understand. I'm going to go. And then, you know, it's like a challenge for me. I'm not going to, he's not going to find me not concentrating. You watch these guys driving cars and it's really intense when you go for a long period of time, more concentration than most sports. I'm sweating. I'm going. And then he finds that moment, just like life. Life doesn't get you when you're prepared, right? right. Your divorce happened when you're not prepared, right. right? You know, that's how life works. You know, I've been through it too. We've all been through it. So what happens? He pushes the button. We start spinning out of control. What does my brain immediately do? Look straight at the wall. By the way, he just got done telling me, if we hit that at full speed, we can die. He said, and so you got to make sure you break. But secondly, he said, if we hit it and not at full speed and you damage the car, you're paying for the car. So I was like, at all those stuff, I looked straight at the wall after all that conditioning, after all that training, I should say. But he saved my life. He pushes my face physically this direction where we got to turn left. I'm fighting him because I want to see the death happen. (laughs) (laughs) But he keeps holding my face. And now what happens? I steer that direction. But here's the thing we all have to remember. You know, when you start doing the right thing, you're not always instantly rewarded because there's a lag time from the momentum you had of the old way. You know, if you've overeaten for 30 years and then suddenly eat well for two days and you're pissed off, you haven't lost enough weight, you're still in lag time. You got to keep doing the right thing and it'll catch. So sure enough, I'm fighting him like I'm I'm literally still trying to look at it. He's holding my face. And the last few seconds, the wheels catch. And it's like, you know, my mind is six inches and it was probably five feet, but it didn't matter. My heart's beating out of me, right? He looks at me and goes, did you learn? I said, I learned. I didn't learn to squat. <laughs> you know? So we do it again. I look at the wall and grabs my head. But after four or five times, your nervous system starts to see, this is what I must do to have a great life to survive. And so the minute it happens, I turn and just I look. And sure enough, even though it hasn't caught, it catches, it catches. So here's the question for you and your audience. If you do the right thing, if you focus on what you want versus not what you're afraid of, are you guaranteed to succeed? No. But if you look at the wall, you're guaranteed to hit it. Probably. Yes. The answer is yes. Yeah. So there's no guarantee in life, but when you do the right thing and you direct on what you want versus what you don't want, more times than not, you're going to succeed. And that's what we have to train ourselves to do. So that's why I do it in seminars too, because it's one thing to talk about it verbally, as you know. It's another thing to change the way your body is using energy while you're doing it for 8, 10, 12 hours a day when you think you wouldn't be able to do two hours because you never have before. But you know, when you hate what's going on, a minute feels like eternity. But when you're having the time of your life, 12 hours go by, it's like that. And then three or four days. And what I didn't believe, and I got to see it myself, I didn't believe we could duplicate what we do in a live event. And I'm doing it again. I'm doing live events. I had 10,000 people here in Palm Beach. But there's very few people you can do, places you can do that. Right. I'm doing an event for 25,000 people. And they're in 195 countries. So rad. And you see families together and children. And it's literally like we start here at 10 a.m. For my Australian friends, it's midnight. They go from right. midnight to one in the afternoon. Like yeah. we're in every single time zone around the world. And then you build this community of people who are as driven and hungry as you are. Yeah. It's just gorgeous. And so that's, we figured out how to use COVID, not like COVID use us. Right. It's happening for you, right? Yes, not to you. you. Right. right. And I do want to say, I think it's an incredible opportunity for people who are at home to be able to go to a virtual conference. Yeah. But I It also would, saves them a ton of money. They don't right. have to fly. They don't a have to pay for a hotel. They don't have to do all those. And they're not away from their family. But yes. I will say for women and moms, it's worth finding a way to do it in person. I love that too, Because the beauty, obviously, is that you can access it. But I do think, especially in my community, uh, oftentimes they're trying to go through a transformative event in the house with the person 
who is the reason that they're not able to transform. <laughs> I understand. I understand. Um, and, and I've seen that in my own community where they'll go yeah. through a day and then their partner is giving them yeah. so much shit or making fun of them and yeah. they're not really able to... Because you know it is like people are doing changing. that. I've seen a lot of women do it. They go and they do it with a group of girlfriends at their nice. house together. Nice. So it's in a supportive environment. Nice. Some people do it at their office together with yes. other people of that nature. So there's lots of choices. But I, I still love doing it in person. It's That's my preference. It's so special. It's just like I was supposed to do one in London coming up, and you know they shut everything down for Omicron, right. and they're opening it back up again. And right. so, so I don't want anybody to be disappointed. And. You, as you've done, you've done more than once. You can do it one time like there and then go live. And it's like, right. that's what people did last year because we only did one live event yeah. in October here yeah. in Palm Beach. Yeah. People flew in from all over the world for it, right? Yeah. Because they'd had other experiences and they wanted to go deeper. Yeah, it's so cool. I think the life-changing thing that I took away the first time I got to sit at one of your conferences was an awareness that I was in control of my own life, yeah. which I which is what you teach. Right. I loved in your book from the very beginning. It's like, I'm not going to support you in your misery. You right. know, it's like, these are lies. You are more than you think you are. Right. You can make these things happen, but you got to take 100% responsibility to make right. that happen. I love right. that about you. Well, what's incredible about this book, what's incredible about money, like you, you're, you keep trying to give this to people. And now it's an ownership of our health yes. on every level. Yes. It's pretty wild to think about the legacy that you have created and continue to create. And I'm curious what still drives that, like, your life's incredible. You've already, you know, I was, I was explaining to my kids who I was coming to, to meet. I was like, he, he's, he did this. Like, I'm doing this work because you came before me. That's and beautiful. you continue, you yeah, you continue to pour your life force, pun intended, out to to give people the ownership in all these different areas of their life. What's driving that still? It's always been impact for me. I love people. I'm a, you know, somebody asked my mom, was he always like this? She's passed away, but she used to tell the story, so I'd hear her version of the story. And, you know, we grew up in kind of the hood of L.A., a really rough ter- territory, and on a commercial street. And this crappy little house, was a lot of violence around there. But right next door was this old liquor store. And we were poor, and she was pregnant with my brother. I was almost four and a half, I guess, years old, five years old. And, you know, I would go to that place to get stuff because we had nobody else. My father was an underground parking attendant, so he wasn't there. So it was she and I. And so I guess she sent me next door to get bread and milk, which we desperately needed. We had very little money. I guess I was gone for a very long time where she was worried, and I'd come back with no bread and milk. And she said, where's the bread and milk? And I said, well, there's a poor boy there, so I gave him our money. And she says, we're poor. (laughs) So I've always had that, and I think... There's an old movie called Mr. Holland's Opus. I use it sometimes to date with Destiny. And there's a line in the movie with this man. His whole life was about, you know, writing this great opus and how he'd make him rich and famous and all these things. And he becomes a school teacher, not because he likes kids, but because he gets off at 3 p.m. and has the summers off, thinks he's going to write this opus. And I almost, I, I, I could cry thinking about it right now because it's just, but life's about, you know, life's about love and life's about people. But there's this moment when, he loses his job because he cut the music program and he decides he's going to retire. And he's leaving with his wife and his kid who's deaf. He's ironic, oh, ironically I know. musician. You know the movie. I am very As, I, I get your head thinking about it right now. Every time I watch it, you know, I, you see this man come and he's at the latter years of his life. And all of a sudden as he's leaving, there's this sound in the gym and they, he goes, what is that sound? He goes, no. And it's after hours. He goes to open up the gym and there's, all these students from all the years of his 25 years of teaching or 30 years of teaching, whatever it was, 
And they're all cheering, and he comes down, and, and he's just stunned by the response. And his wife gets up and says, you know, a lot of people heard about the retirement of my husband, and I can't believe the outreach. And so we wanted to let him know how much he's loved. And, and then all of a sudden, the doors open, and this little redhead girl who he had blasted in the beginning because she had no talent in the clarinet, yeah. um, but he then fell in love with trying to support her, and it's when he became a better man. She's now an adult, and she's the governor right. of the state. And she goes bursting in. Goes, oh, I'm sorry. I thought we were a little bit running late. And she comes up, and she looks at him and gets on stage. And she does this little speech. But the essence of it is, um, Mr. Holland's touched all of us so much. <laughs> she says, uh, you know, Mr. Holland had this opus he was going to write. He, and word was it was going to make him rich and famous. But he's neither. At least not outside this small town. But she said, but... If he just got those riches and fame, he would have missed out on what he has here. And she says, look around you, Mr. Holland. These are the notes of your music. This is the symphony of your life. And um, sorry again, emotionally, I'm so silly. <laughs> Emotional guy. That's why I do what I do, because I get to see um, people's lives change. I get to see moms reclaim themselves. I see children you know, stand up for themselves. I see men who become men again. And really step up and take the responsibilities that make them feel alive. I see people build businesses and I see people happy again. I see couples coming together. I see joy and happiness, not because life is always like that, but because they can find meaning even when it's painful. And to me, to live a life with that kind of meaning is a gift from God. And I think I was um, made to do this and I've done my part, but I've also been graced and that's why I like, I'm so obsessed. Like, you know, this book, like I want somebody not to have the fear of cancer I had. And now I can help them because there's a brand new blood test. You know, 80% of the people who get stage two, stage three cancer is an example. And the cancer society says they're going to die. Now, 20% live. I, I focus on that. But they're right. When you get that long, it's really tough to turn around. But if you get it stage one or two, it's 80 to 99% success. And a doctor, all these people in this book, these heroes that I tell their stories will make you cry, will make you laugh. The doctor who created that lost his wife. Almost everyone here who created these breakthroughs that are life-changing, that sound unbelievable, they did it because it wasn't about them. They lost someone they loved. They lost their wife. They lost their husband or one of their children or something of that nature. And I guess I identify with them. Is like they just found a way to go beyond what people thought was possible. So now you can do this test. It's a simple blood test. Tells you whether you have 50 cancers or not. We had a man come in, his wife pushed him. He's like, I already did a physical. I did, you know, they did my blood and your analysis. We did this test. It's called a grail test. Designed by this man who lost his wife because they discovered too late. And we find out he has kidney cancer, but it's just the beginning. It's a 20-minute outpatient procedure. He's perfectly fine. He's a father. He's a husband. I mean, his wife is so relieved. And it was that easy because the tools are here now. You know, there's a, there's a test called a CCTA test. Uh, my, when I have this group called Fountain Life, a group of doctors, and I have a partner named Dr. Bill Cap. Beautiful man. He built 12 hospitals, ran them, and then after 20 years said, I am so sick of, of you know, reaction care. I'm so sick of disease care. I want to do precision. I want to do regeneration. I want to prevent. I want to show people it's possible. So we built these centers across the U.S., and we're doing one in Abu Dhabi. He calls me the day. He's one of those super understated guys. You know, he's one of those guys you got to lean forward and listen to. He doesn't, doesn't talk loud like me. He doesn't overstate it. And he's just like, boom. 
And he goes, Tony, um, I'm calling because there's been a breakthrough in cardiology that I think sincerely is one of the greatest breakthroughs in the last decade. And he said, you've got to take advantage of it. And we're the first ones exposed to it. I want you to come check it out. So what is it? He said, well, you know, the number one killer of men and women is heart disease, heart attack. And he said, you know, the only way we see what's going on usually is someone does a CT scan, and that's usually when there's a real problem. And they're hard to read because what they're looking for is, you know, have you built up, you know, things in your veins that are going to knock you down that. But what's interesting is the soft tissue is very different than when it calcifies. Mm. And the traditional scan can't tell you that. You might have a really high number, but it might all be calcified, which means it's healed, right? It's the stuff that's fleshy that can break off and make you a widow maker by giving you a heart attack or, or um, you know, a brain aneurysm. And so I said, well, this is fascinating. How does it work? He goes, it has an AI and it literally opens digitally. This is the world we're in now. Opens your veins digitally, searches through and finds out, is there soft plaque? That's what will kill you or could kill you. Or is it hardened? And gives you a score, tells you where it is. They can predict a heart attack five years in advance and they tell you what to do to avoid it. So this is like what I live for. So I was like, Okay, I'm coming. But my father-in-law's with us, and he's just turning 80. Beautiful man I love dearly, like he's my own father. And he built a business from nothing. He's a self-made man in the lumber business. But, you know, when you get to 80, people around you in our culture are like, oh, you got to prepare, you know, right. life's ending. And, and I watched the last few years while well, that energy started to drop because everybody around him talks that way. Get your affairs in order. Right. And, you know, he was worried. Well, do, might I have a heart attack because, you know, his father did and so forth. And guess what? I said, Dad, why don't you come with me? We'll do this little test. It's brief. It's fantastic. We probably both have some soft plaques. And, but they'll tell us where it is, and they'll show us what to do to clear it up. He decides to come with me. We go there, Rachel. This is, like, this is what I live for. We go there, and my father-in-law is completely clean. Everything is calcified. He has no problems in his heart at all. He's got a heart like a 25-year-old, <laughs> right? I'm doing much better than I was five years ago. I'm doing great, but he's doing even better than I am. I mean, literally nothing to worry about. I live for those moments where you see that light in his eyes where it's like, oh, my God, I have a life. And then, you know, there, we have this technique that uh, works with a lot of athletes and anybody. Whenever you injure yourself, soft tissue gets around, and then the fluid doesn't get in, oxygenation get in, and often nerves get trapped. So I had this trap thing in my ankle without wasting all the time telling Dora's story. It's just so bad that for 16 years, if you even touched it there, it's like I was electrocuted. Don't touch me. I did, I did a 15-minute procedure with this two years ago. You can kick me. You can do anything. I don't feel anything. It's perfect. They just open it up with this fluid, amnio fluid, same thing we're born in, and then the nerve packed back in place. So I said, what makes dad feel old? Afraid he's going to have a heart attack, right? Or stroke. Both those aren't going to happen. And now, like, I'm in pain all the time and I can't walk. So I said, dad, as long as you're here, you can do this little relief thing. Why don't you have them look at your hip? Into 30 minutes, they find two locations. They treat it literally right there. He walks out an hour later perfectly smooth for the first time in a decade, right? So we get on the, this is all finished with you. get on the plane. He looks at me like this and he goes, you know, Tone, he goes, those guys that talk about living to 110, 120, I don't know if I'd buy that, but my heart's perfect. I'm walking perfect. I can live another 20 years. I can live to 100. You've only been married to my daughter 22 years. That's like a whole new life. <laughs> so I live for that. That's why I wrote this book. <laughs> Besides feeding 20 million people and, and advancing the research, I want people to have answers for those they love. I get a call once every 10 to two weeks. And this divided country of ours, we're all divided by all kinds of things. But one thing I think we're unified by, none of us want to lose our family members or friends, and we're going to. But wouldn't it be nice to prevent it? Wouldn't it be nice to 
heal it? Wouldn't it be nice to have somebody you love about feel 10 years younger or yourself? Wouldn't it be nice to have the energy for you along with your kids and everyone else? And so those answers are actually here right now. And I'm dedicated to getting it out. And I'm excited to hear the stories of what's going to happen. I've already had a few because before the book went out, we sent it to people. I've got an assistant whose father was going in for back surgery. And he read the pain chapter. He didn't go in. He's out of pain right now. I've put him up with a guy named Peter Goscu that has this technique that I've used for 25 years. It's like, that's what I live for. And that's what gives me energy. And that's what keeps me going. Yeah. Sorry about the tears. No, <laughs> no. I want to I wanna make sure and say, because we're talking about stories um, before we end this. Five years ago. Now I'm going to cry. Cool. <laughs> okay, well, that's fair. Um, <laughs> five years ago, I went to UPW conference. Um, and it utterly changed my life. And the work that I've done, like I sat in that, I sat in that arena and asked bigger questions. And for most of my adult life, I had, um, I thought something was wrong with me because I thought I have, I'm a mom and I'm a wife and I'm not supposed to have ambition and I'm not supposed to dream of something bigger. And it was the first time in my life that I thought, Maybe God made me this way on purpose. Mm. And so I was like, well, if God made me this way, what would I do differently? Mm. And girl, wash your face is a result of sitting in that conference. Throwing my first conference (laughs) is a result of sitting in that conference. And I know you won't always get to meet the effect of your work, but you affected me. And then I affected other women. And you're never going to see the full, you're never going to see the full results of what you've done. And it's not that thing where it's like, oh, you changed my life because I worked my ass off. I changed I my life. I agree. But I, if I hadn't had that catalyst, if I hadn't sat in that or jumped in that arena with you and peed my pants over and over because I pushed <laughs> babies out of this body, like if I hadn't had that experience, I wouldn't be who I am today. Well, you're giving me more credit than I deserve. No. But I love true. that I've been able to be a part of your journey and been a helpful part of your journey. And I love even more that you've taken the things you've figured out for you and passed them on because that's why we're all here. Yeah. In the end, you know, life is about meaning. Yeah. And the most meaningful thing is to grow and to give. Yeah. And you've done both those. So thank, thank you for that. You. This is a, this is a <laughs> literal um, dream come true. Thank, thank you. Well, thank no you one else got me to cry. I don't know how you pulled that off, kid, but you did. <laughs> trying to be the next Oprah, man. I got to figure it out somehow. <laughs> that's beautiful. You want that? Thank you. Um, not for whatever, but I will say, you know, when you uh, you have to give your personality a name. Yeah. So the name that I chose at that UPW was Mogul. Oh, wow, And it was cool. the first tattoo that I oh, ever got. Oh, that is so yeah, cool. Yeah, it's still there. So that's Mary has a, uh, is your aunt? Cousin. Cousin, who went to UPW just recently, and she unfortunately lost her husband. He committed suicide. Hmm. And I said, please bring him. And of course, you know, I knew she was there, and I'm working on people. I hear what's going on with people, and I do things. We worked on her. But she's so transformed and so beautiful. But the funny part was, she said, she came to the house and I took a picture with her and she goes, can I have an autograph? And Mary's so protective of me, even though it's her family. I was like, honey, you don't need to protect me. I, I, I want to visit with her. And she goes, would you sign, sign a piece of paper for me? I said, sure. And well, what do you want that for? She, she, it was that big. She's tattooing my signature <laughs> on her arm. <laughs> Two weeks before, never heard of me. I was like, oh, want a tattoo? I was like, I don't know. Maybe you should think of something else you want to tattoo yeah. besides my signature. In the end, went out and the guy couldn't duplicate my signature. What do you do? He put live with passion. Okay. Friends, live with passion. <laughs> it's got end. like a trademark so symbol. Like, <laughs> <laughs> That's really cool. That's cool. That's gorgeous. Yeah. I am so grateful to yeah. finally yeah. get to know who you are. 
this lady I have to thank because she was the bridge for us. Yeah. And then she showed me your book and I was like, wow, I love the way you attack this with these lies, these false beliefs that yeah. limit us. And I loved how you called women to be more and not to just accept because, as you know, in the feminine world, very often, yes. they're so supportive of each other that you don't grow. Right. And it's hard, and, and no man can say that shit right. to them, right? Right. But you could. Yeah. And you've lived it. Yeah. And, it's there. and I, I say this too, and this it's not a dig in any way, but I was sitting at that conference and I was so inspired and I was so like pumped and I just kept thinking, why are there no women on this stage? Yes. And I and thought now, that, by the way, well, I thought that for three days and then I just heard this, like, it was the strongest moment I've ever had. Maybe I'm supposed to be on the stage. <laughs> I like that. That's Swear to so God. cool. And I planned my first conference and I went $40,000 into deck because I didn't know what the fuck I was doing and a hundred people came. <laughs> oh and then well, I had slow- seven for my first right. one. I'm thinking there's 500, so I, so I understand. slowly kept, yeah, kept building and growing and it's been, well, I'm it's glad been you persisted and I know- we all go through different seasons. Yeah. And I know you've been through a winter recently. Oh, yeah. And I'm sure you've got some winter feelings yeah. still, especially with all that's going on in the world yeah. on top of it, honey. But who you are is more than anything that's ever happened to you. Yeah. And what you've already given would be a life well lived. But you have, you're very young and there's so much more to give. And going through those winters is where most of my greatest strengths and most of my greatest insights have come from. Because if I could solve it for me, I could solve it for both of us, for hundreds of thousands or millions right. of other people. Right. So when you're in the middle of that, it, it, I don't know if it's helpful or not. For me, what's really helpful is go, I'm not the only one going through this shit. <laughs> Whatever it is, financial, business, relationship, kids. And it's like, okay, if I can figure this out, then I can help so many other people. And it gives me a different incentive than just me. And then I don't feel bad about having the problem or the challenge. And so I, I hope that's a seed I can plant yeah. in you. Because, you know, and what also follows winter, as you well know, yeah. thank God, is spring, yeah. right? Yeah. You know? I think the what I'm trying to grapple with now is there was sort of this meteoric rise after a lifetime of working at something, you know? And with that rise, it felt like then sort of a target. Because it's I don't think people are used to seeing a woman on stage with energy and sort of challenging you. And there's a part of me, sorry, this became a small therapy session, but there's a part of me that is sort of like, why the fuck am I putting myself through this? Like, why you know, there, I, I could write books. I could do, I don't have to be so forward facing. Yes. Um, but and yet I, there's a part of your personality that demands that. Right. Cause you respond to challenge. You right. grow. You're, right. you're very unique and structured that way. And God made you that way. So you should take advantage of it as right. much as you can. Right. And you can give yourself balance too. Right. Cause we live in a crazy world right now where everybody yeah. monitors every word you say and right. they misinterpret it and they go right. crazy with it. This is not forever. This right. is part of the winter. Yeah. Right. But it'll change and people, people are going to get sick of it. Just like they're sick of COVID. They're going to yeah. get sick of all this backbiting right. bullshit. Right. And it'll turn yeah. and you do well during this time when like, continue to grow. And you'll be set for the rest of your life because spring will come and spring is a different attitude. It's like winter doesn't mean there aren't good days. It just means it's mostly cloudy and, right. and, and more than not, right? right? Yeah. And then springtime comes and it's mostly sunny and easy. And so, uh, and holding you now, may I ask? 39. So, so, honey, you're, first of all, you're coming near 40, 40 alone. I used to remember everybody telling me, oh, you turned 40, all these, and they're all so full of shit. And then I got 40 and I was totally depressed and I never feel depressed. Because I just got a divorce, yeah. right? Which I initiated, right. but I got a divorce and my kids weren't with me. And I was like, is blood thicker than water? Because, you know, three of my kids are adopted. And I mean, I was the worst day, 40. And I look back on it and then 50 was better. But I was still like, you know, even at 40, it's like, have I done enough? I don't help millions of people. You've done this too. And then, you know, 60, I'm telling you, so you don't have to wait that long. 
<laughs> Sunday, finally around 60, my brain was like, shit, I've done more than that. I'm still going to do 10 times more. Right. But it was no more like, have I done enough? Have I created enough? Have I given enough? Have I done those enough? Mm. There's no more questioning of that process. So it's a natural process to go through a stage of life where you're certain and crushing it. Mm-hmm. And then there's a period of questioning. Questioning could be the environment that triggers the questioning. It could be a relationship that triggers the questioning. It could be things going on with your kids. But that period of questioning, I'm making up, let's say, seven years of target going for it. And then you've got this six months or a year or a year and a half of questioning. And then one of two things happens. You either go, this is the greatest shit in the world that I'm doing, and you recommit to it. Or you pick another direction and go there. Right. And then you'll go for, I'm making up the years, seven years, and you'll question again. Having lived a few more decades, I'm just telling you, this is a natural process. And right. it's actually healthy. Because once you recommit, once you've said no, like what you just said there, if you decide, I don't need to do this, then don't do it. Do something else and enjoy yourself. Or I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it these ways selectively so I have more time to do this that I enjoy, And I, but I'm still going to keep growing this area. Yeah. But whatever you do, will you either commit to what you've already done or you commit to something new, it'll reinvigorate you again right. for another period of time. And yeah. then you'll question again. <laughs> Did you always have a thick skin about? No. No. I still don't have that thick skin. Just see me just crying here? What the hell hell are you thinking, right? I look like I got a thick skin. I feel like getting so much shit in in personal development, there's so much that's not based on any actual fact. Yeah. But there's so much shit. And I I don't want to make this the narrative, but I feel like it's harder to be a woman and doing it. Because it's like all of these things that I'm supposed to, you should be home with your kids. You should be. All 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 the beliefs of other people. As long as we allow, and it still happens, happens much rarely now at 60, I wish I could say it was true at 40. It wasn't. So I'm telling you this, this truthfully. I don't want to shoot you straight. Um, now at this stage, it's a different game because mm. there's such an accumulated impact in people and knowing who the hell I am. Yeah. But at 39 or 40 years old, you know, I'd question her. I'd feel bad about it. I, you know, trying to please everybody and all that shit. And I was a pleaser. That's why I was in a relationship where I was really unhappy. I stayed in a relationship that was totally wrong for me. Because I was such a pleaser. Yeah. I didn't yeah. want to make her unhappy. And it was right. like, I was making, you know, I was so happy in my work and with my kids that it didn't matter I wasn't happy here. Right. But when I turned 40, is when I finally said, no, enough of this. I don't want to live another decade this way. Yeah. And that was the beginning of saying, no, I'm not going to live for what other people think or feel. It doesn't mean I don't care, but it, I'm just not going to let that be the priority. And rarely in my life has that shown up. There's moments it's shown up since that time. But before that's there. So you're actually on the cusp of freedom. You're on the cusp of a point where your brain will say, no fucking more. Yeah. Right? I'm not going to fucking let these people do this. And there will still be moments, but it won't be the dominant force in your life. Right. And so pick your direction and go and refine it. And I think you're going you're gonna to surprise yourself. Yeah. You're going <laughs> to, I promise you, we'll bump into each other at some point in the next 24, 36 months. And you're going to tell me how great you've broken through and driven areas. Not phony, not fake. Yeah. Just like, why are these challenges, problems? And we can have this conversation. But you know what? I really figured this out. I figured that out. I feel like a different woman. I feel like a. It, it sounds so corny, but it's nice to have mentors that are older, but it's really hard to find mentors that are going through what you're going through. Even for me as a man, it was so, yeah. so hard. But if you can find a few people that lived 18 or 20 years more than you and not five or three, yeah. there's a different perspective. So I had a gentleman in my life, Peter Guber, who's 18 years my senior. And by the time I didn't really get to know him until I was 40. But as I did, I remember in the beginning, he would tell me, this is what you're going to probably go through at this stage. And I remember in the beginning, I loved him, respect him. I thought, well, everybody goes through different things. There's certain things everybody goes through. <laughs> but by going through to them, you get to the other side. And what's on the other side is you owning yourself. Yeah. And you own yourself to a great extent. But I promise you, 
in three or four or five years, let's say, you know, by the time you're 42, three, four, something of that nature, you are going to be a different person. You're the same soul, but your fucking ownership and what can move you and whether or not your ex can affect, none of that shit's going to affect you anymore. And your kids, you're going to say, they're gonna, thing, things aren't, aren't ideal, but you're going to see the, the trajectory of who they're becoming and you won't be so hard on yourself. Yeah. That's all coming quicker than you know. And you don't have to even do anything. It'll happen because you're on a trajectory of growth. Yeah. Right. It'll, it'll show up. God will guide you. The Rachel Hollis podcast is produced by me, Rachel Hollis. It's edited by Andrew Weller and Jack Noble.